This is the Double O Podcast. I'm Kelly Davis, founder of My Mountain and part-time television star. And this podcast is dedicated to telling you guys all about Melton and a few stories about my experiences running the campaign and living, working and socialising within the small market town of Melton Mowbray. AKA that place that the BBC said is the worst place to live if you're ages 16 to 26. As you can see, this podcast is a little bit earlier from our regular Friday podcast. But as with everything I do that's slightly early, it is in good reason. And it's because I'm sat here today with Mark Frisby, who is running as a Conservative candidate in Melton West for tomorrow's Leicestershire County Council election. So obviously you can imagine that it would be a bit daft me publishing this episode on Friday given that the election is tomorrow. So, hi Mark, welcome to the show. Kelly, thanks ever such a lot for having me. It's great to uh, to join you this morning. So, um, I'm going to kick off with the five questions. So these are the same five questions that all the candidates that have been featured during the coverage for County Council have received in their advance. So let's kick off with you introducing yourself and describing your party in five words. Okay, my name's Mark Frisby. I'm a local lad, lived in Melton Mowbray all my life. Introduce my party or my manifesto in five words. What would you rather have? Let's go for both. Okay, my party, um, it, 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 I think it needs a little bit of revision. It, five simple words, that's really difficult because I've got my manifesto here. Um reflective developmental opportunity um i've got two more to go haven't i um explorative i think there's stuff to do there uh and enterprising nice nice and what about me personally you want a five word manifesto for me uh two massive words that i want to share with you this morning is young people there's two uh business opportunities there's another two uh, and investment, there's my fifth. Nice, nice. So let's discuss the council tax increase. Obviously, it has been all over local news. I'm sure you've had a nice big council tax bill come through your uh, letterbox, as we have in ours. What are your thoughts on these council tax increases, and do you feel that the timing of them is right, given the situation that we're in? I don't think the timing of any tax increase is going to be right Kelly I don't think you're ever going to get it right um, I, like I'm really pleased to, to, to hear you say today I'm not a councillor okay today I'm just like you I'm just a punter off the street and possibly next week I still will be a punter off the street but with a bit of a, a public office um, I think look it's it's inflation I think things are going up things are costing more I think there's an expectation from people um, for quality of service, and I think you've got that quality of service, you're going to have to pay for it. Um, do I personally want to pay more council tax? No, I never want to pay more council tax. But um, interesting paradox, really, and that is, I had a question asked to me the other day, and I hope you don't think I'm deviating, but somebody asked me the other day, um, do if I was elected in what influence would I have over changing the minimum wage? Well, none, zero, but I suppose it's interesting because people want to be paid more, they expect to be paid more, um, 
but don't understand that if you want a good quality service then you have to pay for more so let's imagine the services that we do get does it represent value for money the people that do it i'm pretty sure the people who work for the council who deliver these these services probably think i need more money where does the more money come from raises in council tax i think you're quite right i think the timing is is precarious i think we've had a tough year um, I think knowing Mountain Borough Council as I do, and I'm not a member of Mountain Borough Council, I'm not a councillor, I don't know how they could have timed it any better, or, or indeed, if you like, any worse, really. Um, but I suppose it had to happen, and obviously to keep the constituents and, and the community happy, I bet they fought that off to the last minute, but I think the timing was a little bit odd. I wonder how bad it had been if we'd have left it a lot longer you know it's, it's that old adage isn't it that if you can't pay your landlord 50 quid this week you're going to struggle to pay him 100 next week so i'd rather it was incremental and progressive than waiting two years and then throwing a massive amount but um do i think the council tax is good value for me, me personally i do i think that is a lovely place to live i feel quite safe um we, we have enormous Efficiencies in terms of what we get, you know, our bins are regularly emptied, you know, good access to our police, you know, that sort of stuff. So, I personally think it's good value for money. But to answer your question succinctly, I don't want to, I don't want to pay any more, thank you. If there's anything you can do about that, <laughs> I'm afraid yeah. not. Um, I might, you know, give me a couple of years when I've got a bit more money to take a stand in a general election maybe but i've not got enough in my savings account it's yet scary, to, it? yeah it is expensive yeah. you know like i'm pretty much that would eat all my savings now without promotional materials and stuff well i think it's remarkable that you've got savings <laughs> because i haven't anymore so i um, need to introduce you to plum after our podcast today it's been my saving grace during this pandemic well, to be honest, Kelly, you seem to be a bit of a fountain of knowledge on things, because you've already rescued me from one situation this morning. <laughs> Looks like you're going to rescue me from another. We digress. Yes. Um, by the way, Plum haven't paid me for that post. It's just, I just love the fact that it does it automatically. Plum have not paid me. Plum do not endorse this uh, podcast before we go any further. I'm sure the Belt and Labour people will be like, do you the employees are paying it to promote Plum? No, they're not. <laughs> anyway so let's talk about buses obviously it, it's no secret that public transport in melton isn't the greatest you know be it the bbc newsbeat report that gave us a one out of ten all the way to the recent reports on the lesson mercury that said that we had the most late buses in the country yeah, it's catastrophic isn't it i can't dress that up i can't make that any worse any better or any worse than it is um, I think that I think the connectivity and transport issues are concerns and affect everybody in some way. Let's go from the top down. My mum lives in an area of Melton Road Beach. She is totally reliant on public transport. She has a bus pass. Um, basically, certainly during COVID, the buses have run everywhere from non-existent to catastrophically wrong. Right. Um, I think it, it's dreadful. I, my wife and I like to go and watch live music. We like to actually uh, indulge ourselves in what's on in the city, Leicester and Nottingham. If we relied on public transport to go and see a live gig, 
have a bite to eat, go for a few drinks and get this last bus or train home. We'd have to ram our food and run with indigestion to get to 6.30 because it's a complete and total disaster, isn't it? I can't dress it up. I think it's an, a, an expensive, ridiculous... Um, I mean, where do we start? Let's go with trains, yeah? Um, what's going on with the trains, right? I mean, you know, you book a ticket. If I was to book a ticket to go to London or to a city, I could be arguably paying more to go to London Kelly or Melton than to go to, um, I don't know, Berlin. Sometimes the ticket prices are astronomical. You get there, there's somebody sitting in your seat. Uh, that's if the train arrives. If it arrives on time, that's a bonus. If it didn't arrive on time, there's nowhere to sit. It's a complete and total fiasco. Uh, I think one of the biggest mistakes that the Conservative Party has made, and let's be very clear, I've joined this party not to just lie down and have my belly rub, but to actually call out the issues that I think are wrong with it. Okay? I'm not here just to have, to have a sycophantic pouring oil over, over a situation. I'll spell this out. I think one of the biggest mistakes we ever made was selling off British Rail. I think it was a publicly owned thing. I'm sure there's people going, how can you be a Tory and, and say that? <laughs> and, I go, and, and we privatised it. And, and I would say there's an element of greed that's gone into this. It's about the margin. It's not about the people. Um, the service is diabolical. Um, it needs looking at. Melton would be a boom town if we could just get the connectivity right. I can't agree with you more. A, an issue, a drum that I'm sick of banging is I'm, I work in the career service and about eight miles up the road we've got a fantastic opportunity called crown business park loads of jobs loads of opportunities nobody can get there can they no right as so somebody can, who's looked into it before if you don't drive you're in big trouble okay so that's it um so you can look at most facets of modern living and say that connectivity and transportation has a part to play in it whether you want to go out to socialize you can't. You can't really watch a theatre show at one of the greatest theatres outside of London Curve. You can't go watch it. And you would not rely on public transport to get you there and back in the evening. So you can't for entertainment. And in terms of business, you couldn't. I don't think if you had an evening job, if you worked at Curve or you worked in a restaurant or you did a, an evening shift in one of the retail outlets in uh, in in the High Cross, simply can't get there. Because of that, so it's a no. It is a complete unmitigating disaster. But I have thought about this question because you sent it to me all day, thank you. The problem is, yes, there is some critique that it does get from the Crown Council. Um, but the problem is, it's a borrowing of people to pay for it. It's pebble counted. And what concerns me is if they put more money into transportation, invariably that has to come from care or children's services. So, um, use an old phrase that we use you could be as badly burnt as you are scolded you might actually be giving to transport and taking some money away from care for so how do you do it how do you address it and, and and i don't know i'm not in post yet but if i do get in post i'll tell you what's going on i'll keep you regularly updated with that that's good and it's thank you for your honesty about that and for those of you wondering how can you be a tory in that not being funny you know anna salisbury she used to be a tory you're not going to put her and Jacob Rees-Mogg in the same same category, Absolutely are they? Not. You know? Um, I, I think it's important while we're at this junction that uh, it annoys me profusely 
that people talk about um, how party national party politics has come down to a local community level. Yes, I am. Um, when I've done um, consultations in the town with um, not councillors but people from MBC, mm. if I had a tenner for every person who was like, "You need to sort out Brexit and you need to sort Please out immigration." Don't. I have had questions about abortion. I have had questions about uh, COVID vaccination passports. Right. Uh, what I wanted to have questions asked me about is what opportunities do you think we can do to uh, improve the entertainment of our town? Um, how can we attract greater tourism to our town? Um, how can we improve the retail opportunities of our town? Kelly, if you notice, every sentence I read there ended with our town, right? National, the national agenda, I have no more reach into the decision-making powers of Boris Johnson than you do. <laughs> right? I never will have. But for some, we've got to be clear, I think at this level, uh, and, and it, uh, it fascinates me, these people who, who become members, who become councillors, and, and then have a, become disillusioned with the idea that one day they're going to be Donald Trump. Right. Um, right. Let's just stop here. You are a parish governance committee. Do you get it? You are a parish governance committee. You are not going to be Donald Trump. You shouldn't be waving out the back of a limousine and you shouldn't be going around kissing babies. That is not the job. <laughs> the job is any chance you could raise the issue of the six foot wide pothole that's outside my house that knocks the wheel off my motor every time I go out of it. And I'm, I just think it's odd that um, that people get these elected positions of office and that start the journey of disappearing up their own... It's yes, okay. It's, there we it's are. okay. I've got right. an explicit um, right. warning on, yeah. on the Dis podcast. Disappearing up their own <laughs> avenue. Um, we're, we're here to do a public office. We're here to actually serve the community. We're here to, to just speak on behalf of the people. Um, do... Do we think long term they'll ever bring out a range of postage stamps with our faces on it? Probably not. <laughs> uh, I'm certainly not here to be doing a book signing outside Waterstones anytime soon. There's those memoirs. It's about how can I help the people. Um, and as you can see, we sat in my office. This is the rest of the council in three. Mate, if you and I did a tell-all book together, we'd be bestsellers. The 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 tea, the tea, the pair of us. Absolutely. I mean, like you guys are hearing it on the podcast, like his. Mug is pretty much like close to boiling in terms of the tea that's getting spilt at the moment. We are, yeah, yeah. we are, we are off. Yeah, um, I, I, I do, I do find that whole issue fascinating. About um, you are a politician with the smallest p that I can use on my font list. Okay, you are a politician this big, right? You are actually you're a public speaker and you're an advocate for the town. That's what you are. Well, I think they should actually remove the word pol local politician and put local advocate, local governor, local speaker. That's all you are. Don't have delusions of grandeur above your station. Yeah? <laughs> Sorry, you got me on that one. Oh, no, no. And um, I'm sure the followers will be like, hmm, wonder who that is. Mm. Sip the sip the tea. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get into it, Kelly, because <laughs> I don't want to get my head kicked in. But then I should get mugged. Anyway, it's lovely. Right. We've got another question. Before, before Mark goes and gets mugged or beaten out of, because um, we're not sure who's going to be police crime commissioner and what their policies on violence are yet, um, for those who want to hear Rupert's um, thoughts, he is on the previous podcast episode, so 
feel free to tune in and listen to that if you want to hear his things. Um, so let's talk about adult education. Obviously, um, young people, that sort of area, speaking to you before we even came on the podcast was something you're very passionate about. It, I mean, I didn't even have a chance to set up the podcast and you were like, so what sort of teaching do you do? You know, yeah, that's I, something I you... teacher. Yeah. Yeah, we always need teachers. So, um, the Melton Borough Report said that Melton has a high level of people that are NBT Level 2, Level 3 qualified or lower. For reference, for those of you who haven't heard already, NBQ Level 2 is equivalent to an A-star to C on the old GCSE system and a 9 to 5 stroke 4 on the new GCSE system. I say 5 stroke 4 because they are looking at um, moving the C to a 5 for some bizarre reason, but we'll discuss that later. And NBQ Level 3 is equivalent to what you and I would call A-levels. So if you were elected, what sort of things would you bring in to help? Because obviously adult, there is such a big aspect of adult education within the county council. So what would you sort of do to help bump that up? It's my absolute passion, education. I was a teacher for 12 years and then um, moved on to be a careers advisor and then a careers advisor in uh, company. Um, I would do everything I could to make education accessible transparent and affordable because I just don't know what's back in Kelly. When I went to university, I was privileged to go to university probably before you were born, okay, um, and we were given a thing called a grant. So not only did you go to get your degree, but there's, oh, there you go, there's 1,500 quid to go and spend in the book, I'm not allowed to say it, to go and spend on your books. Um, and it was amazing. And I can honestly say that Education for me was the beginning of the rest of my life. It, it would address, not cure, so many things if it was accessible. Let me give you an example. I think it's, I think it's profound. I think it's astonishing that we can accept the prison leader back into society, back into the community after the third time for whatever reason. And we do genuinely get them through the door, Kelly, where they say, I know I've done wrong, I've done my retribution, I'm on a probation package, I, I, uh, what I'd like to do now is I'd like to train to be a plumber. Which straightforwardly, in, in, a, in a first world developing country, say, brilliant, you know, you, we, society has penalised you, you've come out with it, you know, you've, it, it works. So you want to be a plumber, let's get you to college. And then before they even get their foot over the door, they say, well, you have to get an adult learning loan, which is £9,000. And you go, hold on a minute, I've, I've got no job, so that's why I want to train to be a plumber. And you want me to get an unsecured £9,000 loan? No, I'm all right, thanks. I'll tell you what, I'll go on university credit. And that's where we're at. And I think light health, education, and to a lesser degree, transport, I think it should be subsidised or it should be free. Um, and I think you would cure an awful lot of the issues if education was a lot more accessible. Um, let's just take away the academics for a minute. We all know that academic skills are fantastic, but I didn't develop as a person until I went to college. That's when I learned about myself. That's when I learned about my position in society. That's where I was governed by other people. My beha behaviour was free we deal with people with disabilities who come through this door who say, I want to get a job, and I say, you're not work ready yet. 
you still need to be under the guidance of a mentor. You need to be supervised. You need to be supported because of your learning difficulty. That doesn't come from working. That doesn't come from the employment sector. But it definitely does come in the education sector. You get that intensive pastoral care. And I think that, that not education is not only about an academic process. I think it's a therapeutic process. And I think we, if we want to recover this country, a strategy to actually recover the culture properly is why don't we open colleges? Why don't we open schools and academia for people free of charge, um, like it used to be? I'm, I'm going to talk specifically about Malton again. Some people's avenue or outlet for social interaction used to be our local colleges with a fantastic range of evening classes, evening courses, and I'm not criticising college. If you want to enrol on a, a, an evening course at our local college now, I think you'd be surprised that there isn't any. There isn't zero. Or the ones that they do have are in Brooksby, which is all fine and dandy, but you've got to get, you've the, got bus to there, get the bus there, which is, all right, which is all right <laughs> yeah. getting there because the courses normally start six, seven, but getting back, you're then playing taxi roulette. Well, I, I just think it, I think something went horribly wrong when we started charging people who had a desire to better themselves. And I just want to use the word career if that's okay. People think career is something to do with jobs. If you actually look at the word career in the Oxford English Dictionary or did, it says making a substantial and sustainable contribution to yourself and the community. You don't use the word job. Your career, it, 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 even the therapy that comes up doing beauty regions like at Brooks, I was at Brooksby Mountain College, in the evenings we did stained glass and we did pottery and it was about bringing people together for their mental health it was about community it was about good society yes i know you can do that in english i've got to be very very clear this is not me criticizing Brooksby mountain college no this is about me criticizing a policy that said let's get rid of added learning let's get rid of this again i can understand why that's happened because we have a finite amount of money and obviously, with an ageing population, we spend more at care, and that's reduced what we can afford on average. Yeah. No, yeah, and I get what you're saying. You're using Brooksby as a case summary, yeah. not as Absolutely a... not, because it's a wonderful college. It's got beacon status for many of the things it's done. It's outstanding. I know for a fact that any principal, the current principal, Dawn, the former principal, Chris Ball, um, if he had opportunity to open his doors and say, guys, you can come in and learn Spanish, French, painting and decorating or nursing is free of charge. I know they would have. It's not their decision. Yeah. That it strangled further up the pipeline. Uh, and that's because that money was diverted to other things that people felt were more important, and like social care. Similar situation with Go Learn from work within Go Learn, you know. Mm. Even when I was there and teaching, mm. you know, something like IT, which was, you know, a lot of people mm. would deem a quote unquote key skill. I ended up having to leave that job because they couldn't fund the course anymore because of money and obviously it's hard to teach something if you know you can't just it's hard to teach something if you're not I had a flash of inspiration last year Colin where I sat here and I thought you know what I'm going to leave this to my associates this my staff and I'm going to go and retrain to be a barber seriously I had this idea of opening a boutique little barbershop in Malton Mayfield. Okay. Rock and roll barbershop with a jukebox and a and Harley Davidson and all this. Ah, so I'm getting flashbacks to when they did it in Leicester before yeah. the 
before it used to be you know what I mean so you've got if you're going down the lane you've got where Spencer's is now yeah, yeah. Bef- like in between it being lamp lighters and Spencer's yeah. it was like a diner and a barber shop for about a year yeah I know it that's it I, I know it but it was all it felt like Greece yeah musical I, I wanted to do that so you think that's okay you know I've, I've contributed fairly and squarely to my tax group somebody's going to give me a barbering course I can go there uh, I can make a, a token contribution that I'd have to do three and a half thousand pounds right so even if um, a young person wanted to be a barber um, and they missed the guaranteed offer of learning which is money that the government gives them and they wanted to be a barber he's going to find three and a half grand and it's like and I'm like what? that's extortionate but that's that, but compared to other courses that's reasonable well yeah because if you're looking at degrees and postgrad I'd like to do a masters I'd like, <laughs> to, be, I'd like to be an illustrator oh mate if I we... illustrated that behind you that I want to be an illustrator I want to do a masters it was 11 grand yeah I could I might keep five. that for a future we need to I need you one for a future yeah, podcast episode to go through this because the postgraduate costs and loans for it I'm still paying it I'm a, mate. I'm still paying it I'm a CEO in a business and I'm still paying the Literally, I'm, I'm there. I'll be dead before that pay that off. Well, for my postgrad loan, I didn't even have enough to pay for my flat. Yeah, I can imagine. Thank heavens for DSA we, for covering the and, difference. And Thank you, God, for making me disabled. Really? God, be careful I would say that. But um, we, I think learners, it's a dis- discussion for another podcast to tell us. Yeah. I think learners in the last 18 months have been spanked. Um, would I pay £10,000 a year to university to sit and have three and a half hours of Zoom lectures? Would I? No. Right? You just gave me lip reads that, didn't you? It's okay. No we've, chance. We've, got, we've, got, we've got the explicit warning on if you okay, want to. I just said, would the... I scallops? Um, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I would If I'd pay 10000 quid to sit in my flat under lockdown being told that you can't come in and out, and you're going to have three and a half hours of sociology lectures a week for £10,000, I would seriously be raising issues with trading standards. Literally, especially, I mean, I'm only going off to Monfort here because that's my university. Yeah. Mm. Well, for to Monfort, it's like, for me, when they did the breakdown of it after the thing, it wasn't like, it wasn't even like 50% of the fees went towards the actual teaching. Like the other, I think it was like 51%, and the other 49 was things like pastoral care student union but well i'm not being funny who's playing a book vice chancellor's brand new maserati (laughs) the ivory club's membership (laughs) don't drag me down oh no no Um, i I, I mean i I was living for the memes i'm not gonna lie when i was a teacher i would get students who would put themselves through incredible challenges to be able to come and study with us um and sometimes they were out outside what was funded and what wasn't and I used to feel really bad that they'd dig very deeply into their own tenacity to be able to do it let's do something about education it's not a privilege it's not a shop a a top shelf purchase that only the richest people can afford it's actually it should be if we really do believe in the values of um, equality it should be something that people who aren't so wealthy access straight away it should be a means-tested uh, application process. If you're unemployed, it's free. 
And I know people are going to be listening to this podcast. Going, it is free. It is free. It's, <laughs> if, you go, if you're unemployed, it's free. No, it isn't. No, it's There's not. all kinds of little snags. And even if you do get on your course, um, you can't get there. You know, <laughs> and, then you, and then you've got to go and buy books because they've got rid of the bursary yeah, for, so you've got to go and fund for that now um, and you, you, we used to have um, educational maintenance for like BMA yeah. and all that and that sort of thing that um, started to get phased out when I was at yeah, sixth yeah, form yeah. so that would have been what 2012-2013 if you're going to fade out something for people it has to be consumer for people fading out and actually the numbers of people who want it have increased so We've reduced the support and we've re- increased the application. Something's wrong, isn't it? Along the way. Somebody didn't need to stand up and be counted and say, you know, why are we doing this? Um, disappointed. I would like to see community colleges, I'd like to see community education. You get me on a massive subject there <laughs> and I bang on about it all day uh, and I don't want to bore you with it. <laughs> I think we're literally going to have to book you in for another podcast Definitely. just to focus on this because I think it's going to be such a meaty topic for its own separate episode. Mm. Let's change the topic completely now and go to street lights. Street lights. <laughs> street. Well, every time I see street, I hear that song. You know, street lights. Oh yeah. Um. So um, street lights. So yeah. Switch off at midnight. Yes, we switch off at midnight according to the Leicestershire County Council website, mm. and. Obviously, there's been a lot in the news, Sir Everard, etc. So, do you feel that you could put a price on people's safety? Because obviously, I know a lot of the argument has been with the streetlights that they turn off at midnight to save money. Uh, yeah, I can see why they do that. Um, look, there is no price that we can put on people's safety, and I'm, uh, that, I'm not even going to get into that. Um, however, when you sent me this before, I had a look. And I don't know whether I've been barking at the wrong tree or looking down the wrong holes, but apparently there's been no um, coalition or, or reduction of streetlights and the increase of crime, unless you can tell me I'm wrong, right? But uh, apparently just there hasn't been, let me say, if you if say we've reduced streetlighting by 50%, there hasn't been a 50% increase in crime. Now that's all kind of quantitative and qualitative, it's been all mixed up together. Um, if, if, if it's been proven that street lighting or the reduction of street lighting has actually increased crime rates, I don't know. Well, this is this is interesting because there have been increased in certain aspects of crime, and we'll go through this towards the end of the episode when we go to the followers' questions. But in terms of whether or not that correlates with street lights, there's not really that much data mm. what it seems to be more is public perception um and that's why i put forward the question not just for you but all the candidates because i think a lot of public perception especially on social media is these things are happening at night because there aren't the street lights and therefore there isn't the deterrent kelly i've not, not got any ambition to be a politician you know that but let me kind of one thing i've learned while i've been on this little political journey which very well may begin on Friday and very well may end by Friday lunchtime uh, on the Roman Street. But the one thing that I, 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 I will say, and this is relates directly to streetlights, is for every body of people that you appease, you upset and you pull them off to the other end. So if I was to say to you, I think 
you need to keep the street lights on all night for a healthy safety reason and to make sure that uh, young, essentially young women or young people or people who are get home safely. I know for a fact there'll be a few that point of people who say, what do you want to leave the lights on for? Create, think about the, think about the footprint, the carbon footprint, burning energy when you don't need, I've just noticed because everyone that you actually say it's a good idea, somebody will come out and say it's a terrible idea. That's interesting because you're the only candidate that, um, without, you know, going into specifics and you guys can check out the Facebook live to see the other candidates that have spoken to the cash council. Every single one when I've asked them the question has been like, we're not sure whether or not there's a causation between mm. the lights and the crime. Mm. Um, you know, but you're the only one that's made the argument about, well, if you do do it all night, you're also not going, you're going to annoy somebody Absolutely. that... Absolutely. Doesn't want the lights yeah, I mean, down I, I, I'm, I'm a bit, and wants to save the penguins. You know, I, I come, you know, I come from um, a family of austerity. I, I keep saying, I keep asking you to say it. My dad used to go nuts if we left the bathroom light on. If the landing light, what, what, what we? My dad, if you left the back door, I said, what are we doing? Heating the world. That was one of his favourites. I think that if you left all the lights on everywhere, which would make essentially people feel safer in some respects, you would get an outpouring of uh, a proportion of people saying. What a total waste. Think about the, 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 the carbon footprint. Think about the waste of energy. You're always going to get it. Um, and unless you've got hard, absolutely hard, substantial facts to say that there's been a, a proportionate escalation in street crime because of the darkness, I don't think you're going to win that argument. To answer your question, personally, I would insist on anything that kept you safe, your family safe, my family safe, regardless what, of what that is. If street lights, the um, the golden pathway, uh, I'm not entirely sure it is. Um, I think certain areas need to be lit, and I think certain areas don't need to be lit. So it's a bit ambiguous, but I'm pretty sure that if I say keep the lights off, I'm going to have a whole wave of people say, Where's your green meter? <laughs> yeah, completely get it. You get it. That'll be fine. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the Mountain Times letter this week about the uh, people saying about the streetlights because you always get the one, don't you? Yeah. Um, Mark Christie said about the, keeping the lights on. Oh absolutely. my goodness, the peng I, yeah, he doesn't care about the penguins. Yeah, absolutely. He wants and the I do, penguins to burn. I do care about the penguins. And I do really <laughs> care about the people. It's about how we can keep the penguins and the people happy. Um, I don't think there's any alternate answers. I'd, I'd be interested to see how much we save in actual pounds, shillings and pence, if you like, by switching the lights off. Um, and I'd be interested to see how much crime has increased proportionately against that. Yeah, and um, I'd be interested to see that data in the public as well. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to hope that if you do get hold of that, you know, barring it's GDPR and science and all the other bureaucracy, that you'd be able to do that if you're elected as well. Mm. Right, so now the five questions that everybody knows. So now let's get to the meat and potatoes of your manifesto. Oh my God! <laughs> uh, yeah. So obviously, you've spoken about it already, but a big, big focus on your manifesto is young people. Mm. In fact, reading through a lot of the manifestos, you seem to be one of the only people that kind of focus on that like 
reading through them in pre preparation for these screens. And one of the things that I was wondering is that, so obviously, Malcolm Borough Council, very, very Tory. Gloucestershire County Council, of course, this could all change tomorrow, but as it stands, very, very Tory. Mm. National government, biggest Tory majority since, Ever. you know, yeah, yeah. World War II or yeah, something yeah, 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 crazy yeah. like that. Now, obviously, I, you guys heard it on the podcast. The reason I set up my mountain to begin with was on the backlash of the 2019 Know Your Place report that the BBC did that stated that Melton was the worst place to live if you were age 16 to 26. Who do you feel, honestly, was, you know, the contributing factor on that government scale that made Melton the worst place? Well, the first question I'm going to come back is what are we comparing it against? Who, what are we comparing? When you say who was on that scale, can you just define? Um, what, as far as the factors that put us onto the bottom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for reference, for those of you who haven't seen the report, BBC Newsbeat lists compared Melton to all the local authorities in England and Wales. And the criteria used, um, and these were the standout criteria that we scored a 0 out of 10 were on, was mental health, the reasoning being that not a single one of the target mental health goals that the government set had been achieved. Leisure facilities, 0 out of 10 being that we didn't have enough fitness lifestyle leisure facilities in relation to the size of the area. Remember, Melton, we're not just covering the town here, we're covering the entire borough. So we're looking at things like Appleby, Sizenby, Waltham, as well as just the town centre. Um, going out was a zero. This relates to the pubs, the bars, the nightclubs, and the live music offerings as well. Obviously, you guys will be aware, you know, live music in the town's great. Check out Melton Gig Guide if you haven't already done so. But if you're going further afield, it's not as great, and let's be honest, we've only got the one nightclub in Melton anyway. So they were, buses, obviously, is one we've already covered. Um, one thing we did do well on was rent. We scored a 9 out of 10 for rent. That was the one thing that we did. 5G, green spaces was another one that we scored low on. Um, right, okay. I, I'm, I'm going to press play here. Okay. I am, uh, I've, I've, I'm very wary of subjective journalism. One person's opinion. Let's go back to your first point, mental health. We run a mental health facility here. Okay. We're actually saying that's a zero. You know, if you want to look in here, they're all the files of our clients that we look after. Okay. Does that look like a zero to you? That's all mental health clients that we look after. So we run a mental health facility here. So that's a bit of an insult. At no point did the BBC, the representative or the journalist from the BBC, ever walk through that door and ask me what we did. So actually to whitewash and say that we're a zero, if they'd have said we were small, I can stomach that, but a zero is horrible because that basically says I don't exist. But you're, but the thing is though, I'm going to flip this back on yeah. you, you're not, you know, you do great things and it's no secret that you do great things, I wouldn't be speaking to you if you were doing great things, but you're not operating, correct me if I'm wrong, your mental health clients from a medical like let's say mountain hospital latham house are mm. you're doing it as a i'm independent, independent yeah. supporting them through absolutely so as far as the data goes i would flip it back and say they probably wouldn't have approached you because you wouldn't have not been within those targets yeah, within because radar, yeah. because yeah. you wouldn't be yeah. following those targets because mm. you're focusing more on support pastorally yeah. i would argue yeah 
as opposed to a, you know mountain hospital open house that are dealing more with the actual thing so to speak well, i think i think okay that's what they found i think what the solution is because in my opinion Kelly, there's no point in barking about a problem until you have a solution devolution which needs to be devolved um we're happy to take people with mental health if we get them referred from the hospital if we get them referred from the open house we don't there's a there's a communication and connectivity issue yes and i'm noticing that because as somebody who's gone through the mental health situation i think i've spoken to it to it on a bit of my podcast before but i've been through there and the first sign knew that you offered the service was when you literally just opened your yeah. cupboard and said these are the clients yeah. and they're the kind of responses on the top yeah and i think something like sad, isn't it? well it you is, should be with us yeah you know and it, it, um i don't know whether there's a preciousness that people think that actually by owning cohorts and people uh, it, it empowers them somehow um i have had dialogues with our local health services and they did say that they're going to start referring people to us i don't know whether there's a preciousness about holding on to what they've got uh, because if they dilute it down it looks like they're not as effective as they used to be i don't know whether they are um financially remunerated by their footfall or by their caseload or whatever but i don't think mental health even comes into that i think it's you know if you're, you're poorly you go to someone who can help you and you can help well it's not only that they're looking to build a second gp in melton because mm. of the amount of caseload that the doctors have you know throwing Need mental it. health throwing Need mental it. health out the situation mm. you know you've got fifty thousand people all coming to Melton from anything from mental health to getting your blood done. Absolutely. I one of the reasons why mental health and again it's a discussion you and I need to have separately is uh, again it's it's what I've trained in, it's what I do. Is the reason why mental health is probably overlooked so much is you can't see it. Okay? I can't see you've got mental health. You have a hidden condition, that's what we call it. And the same with uh, hidden hidden uh, disabilities. If, if you can't see autism and you can't see Asperger's and you can't see all the other issues, um, to, to the average eye you don't see it. The doctors are not mm. out to, the doctors do not prioritise the walking wounded. Yeah? They prioritise people who've got something hanging out of the body that shouldn't be, or bleeding from somewhere that they, they shouldn't. That's it. Um, however, I think mental health has an enormous effect on the community. I think it has an enormous effect on families. I think it has an enormous, considerable effect on individuals. I think it's been devalued. I'm delighted that in the last five years, people are actually talking about it. They're talking about it as a, as a de facto situation rather than a disease. It's not a disease. I myself have terrible anxiety, terrible. Um, uh, my family have anxiety, depression. In 2008, depression was actually diagnosed properly, and I'm glad it was as a disability. You can be disabled, um, depressed. Um, but I'm glad that we are now talking openly about it. In the same way, we're talking about many issues, like we're talking about sexual harassment. It is a taboo subject. Let's get it out there and talk it out. Um, so that's that. I'm going back to your question because me and you will always go off. On I'm literally time. just sat there when she's saying it, like, finally, Hannah, well, you, you, somebody yeah. gets it. <laughs> who's working next door to us now as we speak you can say hello to us she goes up and you'll see the, the volume of, of people that we work with and the intensity we work with and it's not indigenous to people who are middle-aged it's not indigenous to uh, jean soap 
women. It's we have people from 10 years old to 85 years old who have mental health. Bereavement, losing a family member can trigger mental health if you're an 85 year old widow or widower, and we do have cases of that happening. It, it needs to be over, it needs to be invested in, and it needs to be spoken about like it is a genuine real thing that you shouldn't be ashamed of, you should just get it out there. Um, and I'm pleased that in Melbourne there are initiatives that are happening, I see them springing up from male talking groups to, to other organisations. The way we're going to win it, Kelly, is if we work collectively together and not be precious about what we do and we actually get into the information and client sharing and we actually serve people with the create facility they need. I'll give you an example. We Friday mornings here, we have a thing called Art Hop, where essentially it's ladies that anybody can come, we don't discriminate, where it's just ladies who are nervous, post and pre-COVID, we come and do creative things together and they talk and they have a cup of tea and a biscuit and actually that is therapy. And in many ways, I think that's more meaningful therapy than packing someone off with 50 milligrams of Mogadons every day. That's me, right? <laughs> yeah. And, that, and, that, and that's anecdotal because I've worked with it. Some of the other things we've looked at, we said we're zero, is uh, yeah, opportunities for young people to access employment. Yeah, give the BBC a, a flat zero for that. A uh, little bit taken back by the green spaces, which is one of the things that I celebrate in Melbourne, is our beautiful parklands. I think we've got some of the, the nicest walks. Visitors from outside the area say, oh my God, isn't your, isn't the park beautiful? Isn't you know the country park beautiful? The cricket pitch is beautiful, yeah, and that's down to the hard work of the town estate and whatever. So I'm going to take, they're not getting that. Not I, I, that I think BBC, bless them, I'll agree with them on quite a bit reports, but I don't think they've been round the fields, round the back of the side, yeah. you know, as someone who has discovered it during her running and... Mm. It's now when it's Tuesday market day and she knows town's going to be I round. Just, yeah, yeah, you know, I just think it's, um, you know, the big buyers company, the BBC, needs to be careful. I, I think we have a bit of a love hate relationship with the BBC when it comes to Melton, though, don't we? Like, we, for every life of pie in the skate for the nice town, we have a report saying that we're the worst place to yeah. live if you're 16 to 26. I very rarely hear the BBC coming on celebrating that we've, we've got one of the lowest crime statistics in the UK. Very rarely share that, do they? Um, that, which is fact. Um, I think in the last um, 100 years, we've probably had less than five violent murders. Don't jinx it. No, I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> We've all got to go home. But um, I, I, we're not... I, I think we're not very good at celebrating what the town does. Um, I don't think we're very good at defending what the town does well. Um, there's a lot of people, we've got a lot of people in the community, and I admit I'm possibly one of them, um, with, who are quite happy to jump on the critical bandwagon, rather than actually, look, let's defend it. Kelly, I've, worked, I've lived and worked in New York for two years. Right? I've, I've worked all over the UK, I've done lots of things there. I can honestly I'll happily take you by the hand and show you 10,000 places that would make Melton look like Beverly Hills. Right? You are pretty, I'm pretty sure that when you leave here, Melissa, you're going to safely get home. There's places I've known and worked where I would have to walk you home to have that same assurance. Yes. Okay. Um, I mean, home for me is from where we are, is literally up Stavely Road, across the green, and I'm there. Don't give too much away, you don't want to get stalked. <laughs> but, um, no, but I, I, you know, I'm confident that when my wife goes out on a Saturday night to look at these vans and these other things when we arrive to, 
I don't sit there trembling thinking, oh my God, she's going to war three, war four and I is now. No. Possibly never get over. So there was another thing that you said we got a deal of for. What was that? These green spaces, mental health. Nights out um, was one. And that bars, um, which is something I wanted to speak to you that's about. That's really difficult to plug. That is because the demographic between 16 and 18, uh, 24, as we use that, is between 16 and 18, you two drink, you two need to drink easy yeah. anyway. Um, so you are in that twilight zone. Kelly, I've been in that twilight zone. I'm not catching this person, so I would have thought you might have been too. That was the time when I did sit on the park and drink cider. I did it. I think my parents did it. I think our kids have done it and granted it's back because you, you're too young to go to the pub, but you're too old to be at home watching family fortunes. Yeah, you know I mean? it's, so. as, as a young, naive 16 to 18 year old, I didn't used to go to the park that, um, and drink, you know, a massive five litre bottle of white lightning for Two times. Uh, pardon? Two times you to do that. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, but when I was 16 to 18, I didn't. But, you know, I think we can both agree that there is, you know, there is this element of the twilight zone here. Absolutely. You know, you've got the regal and the regal's great. Um, And goodness grief, I am looking forward to going back then when they reopen this month. What Jacob and his family do with the regal cinema and that and the art amongst some of the dueling accounts of our community? Um, I mean, Bryony's um, looking to get involved on operation capacity that we've got in June as well. But, you know, apart from youth, what else is there? Did you know? Did you know back in the day when we started connections, they used to work in the business development. Oh wow, connections. that's a throwback connection. Well, I was in the business development team for them. Again, working on the inclusive initiatives, and they actually did a a a, a, a really concise piece of work around Nelson, um, and what young people really really wanted in Nelson. And do you want me to tell you what they came back with? Two things. One that comes up every week, every month, every year, bowling alley. Yeah, bowling alley's a common one. Lap dancing club. There are two things that they said that they that really <laughs> are. Right? Okay, you're happy with that? Um, the, the, the bowling thing has been, that discussion has been had since I was a kid about, oh, we didn't get a bowling alley. I don't know why we think that a bowling alley will suddenly address all the antisocial behaviour of the town. I think there's only so much bowling people can do um, before they go, oh, you know what, I'm bored of bowling. Yeah. Um, I could see that it would be an incredible investment for someone to do it and people would still sit at home playing Call of Duty. That's how it works. And I think if we're going to actually look at, and this is one of the reasons why I've actually stood for this post, is it's essential going forward that if we're going to put resource into town for the young people, that we actually make the young people the centre of it. Yeah. And that we actually respond to actual demand than perceived ones. Yeah. Are we perceiving that the answer to everyone's problem is a bowling alley? Because if you, I'm sure if you interviewed 200 kids, there'd be probably a large proportion going, I don't ever want to go bowling. Then, and that leaves a really interesting point because I remember this was, this would have been 2019 when I went and did a similar exercise at Brooksby and it was you know we had everything from we want a Nando's um, to we should have an LGBT friendly nightclub in the town and every you know 
Um, homeless shelters is a popular option. You know, fighting more bike sheds. Um, I got, I got interestingly, I got interest, I got involved. I'm a big friend, a big fan and a friend of Aunt Margaret from the Energy Beast. Um, and and Sorry? I love Anne. I Platonic, love him too. Platonically love him. I think he's a great guy. You know, he's made the shoes and that. And he invited me, you know, back in the day, he said, did I go to an LGBT event at our local market? And he went, no. And he's like, what? I said, no. I said, I will go to an event for young people at our market. I'm not going to go to anything that denotes or promotes any segregation. It should just be an event at our market. Right? Defining it as an LGBT thing, in many ways, is the absolute inversion of what you're trying to, to achieve. It should just be an event for all. Yes, of course, people from the LGBT community should be there, but immediately it's segregating people by saying it's an LGBT event. It should be for everyone. And also, how well would that be attended? Um, uh, let me give you an example of what I'm trying to say here. Uh, the, the, a piece of work was done when I was a teacher about how many... Um, essentially black young males go into into FE and HE. And they spoke to me about it. At that point I was governor of the college, or the governor of the college. And they said, you know, we, we're doing some work on this. And they said, we want to know about segregation and we want to know about, you know, is anyone being marginalised? And I said, I don't feel that. I just, we're an inclusive, it's an inclusive place. It's an inclusive programme. And they said to me, would you mind getting all the black males that you work with in a group for a photo shoot? And he said, do you want me to go and call out all the black males? That would be the first and only time that I've ever segregated them by definition of their skin colour. So I won't do it. Um, so that's my take on things. Yeah. I don't know whether you agree with it or not. No, I know, and I mean, I, as somebody who's been to many an LGBTQ plus um, nightclub, you know, Helsinki used to be my go-to nightclub really? back in my uni days. And, you know, I think, you know, and I'm going to refer back to the Melton Pride that Sharon does, has been doing for the last five years. Excellent. You know, she welcomes everybody, gay, Absolutely. straight, bi, transgender, every other mm. identification in between. Basically, her attitude is, and I'm allowed to swear because I put the exclusive warning on here, as long as you're not a dickhead and you're going to spend money getting, Absolutely. you know, spend money, my you're more than welcome. Since it's a spectacle of grandeur, my wife and I have regularly attended Pride events, support them, because of, you know, we're not looking at people's gender, we're not looking at people's sexuality, we're looking at the fact that it's a celebration of people. And, you know, I'm heterosexual, it doesn't come into it. But my point is, is I think if you over-amplify something, then you can hit a target and miss a point. Yeah. Do you see my point? Yeah. You hit a target, but absolutely miss a point. And, uh, yeah, I would love... I, I just think... I think everything will be better when we actually see people's visibility, disability, mental health, or sexuality, or colour, or... Uh, that's the way we make a positive move forward. So you spoke about, and it's really insightful there, and it's really interesting to hear your take on these sort of things. And I know one of the things you mentioned earlier was about tourism and bringing people into town. Now, as somebody who sat on the tourism board prior to the plague, this was something that, you know, been very interested in, been wanting to do. 
um, I'm already literally going to, you know, already got the cogs turning for freshers and stuff and trying to get the student market in. So how does, like, how does attracting tourism to Melton work in your mind? It's, it's dead straightforward, isn't it? You can, you can say what you like, having lived here for many, many years. Melton will not be a retail town in the same way that Oxford Street is a retail world. I love the boutique shops. I love the independent museum shops that we've got here. Uh, our friends who run them. Um, the only way that we're going to bolster that economy and, 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 and make it big is by capitalising on some of the successful events that are tourism related that we do. My dream, Kelly, if I could kind of do anything for the town, is I would make Melton Mowbray, promote Melton Mowbray as a quaint little beachy, beach, Sunday afternoon place to go for a visit, in the same way as the town of Glastonbury. Okay? I don't know if you've ever been to Glastonbury. Um, no, I can't right. say I have. I'll explain what it is. It's a lovely, hippy, dippy afternoon. You would love it. Having spoken to you for a little while, as I have, it is full of quaint little shops that sell everything from healing crystals to homemade jam, right? And every Sunday afternoon, every afternoon, it is absolutely packed with tourists. Off, I would say, off the back of this big festival that happens there every year. What I don't understand is when you've got opportunity, uh, when you see an opportunity in front of you, in manifest, you've actually got things like the Victorian countryside and the countryside that we used to do. And way back when we used to do Melton Shay and all the other things, we used to attract 10, 20, 30, I think at peak we got 65,000 visitors to Melton Shay at peak. Um, and we've kind of let that go through our fingers. Melton should be celebrating the fact that it's a rural capital of food, that should be a big thing. I know there's things like the Melt event that they do, and I know that Sheila Coyle's very excited from doing food things, and we do the food festival. The food festival is 215,000 people. What I'm, what I'm saying is more of that, a bit more of that. Let's use that marketplace. Let's use that marketplace for a jazz festival, a folk festival, a blues festival. And before people say, we've already got a folk festival, who even knows about that? Where's the joined up thinking? Somebody's owned that and they've invented that in their shed and they think, right, I'm owning this. That should be disseminated out to all the organisations and, and we should go big, don't we, Scott? Um, I would like to see the canals, um, I would like to see the canals reopened. I'd like to see boat rides. I'd like to see a steam train running up and down the sidings of the council building. But just reasons for people to actually say, let's get out there and um, see Melton. We've got, it was, the, it was the home of Bo Bramall, the world's first dandy. Um, there's so much history. There's so, we, we're obsessed with the Crown TV programme and we've got where um, Wallace Simpson courted, you know, the, the, the king. Where is it? That's never promoted. There's no kind of Edward and Mrs. Simpson festival. Um, whether you're pro-hunting or anti-hunting, we, we, we're, 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 we're an equine centre. Where's the, the Melton equine show? Where's that? The festival of the horse. That sort of stuff. I would suggest that through the year, Melton should be doing something once a month. And Sue Gowan, who did a great job with the Victorian Christmas Fair, and then, like I said, you, you, you've got um, other people like... Um, 
Stuart Accor, who does famous and stuff. We need to capitalise that and make it bigger. We need to look at rates and rent. Um, I think we need to exert a little bit of pressure on some of the uh, shop front property owners and say, can we give allowances? Can we help people to do it and work collectively? I think in this period of recovery, which we're in nationally, we need to look at how we can actually extend opportunities and make things more accessible. I'd like a shop front. I'd like my business to have a shop front. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of that criticism falls back to Nottingborough Council. I've got to be very clear, Nottingborough Council don't own any shops. So we, we, get, we hear this all the time. But make it a tourist centre. Let's have jousting in the park. Let's have other stuff. You know, things that people... That beautiful um, grade one listed band... concludes another episode of the double m podcast if you want to hear more about the my melton campaign you can follow the my melton social medias we are on twitter on my melton six we are on facebook using the username at my melton mowbray we are on instagram username you're looking for there is this is my melton we are it's also on tiktok where we are my melton and then also we have the My Melton YouTube channel, which is My Melton. And you can check out the My Melton website at www.mymelton.weebly.com. I'm Kelly Davis, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Double M podcast.